On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, it seems to be a pretty seminal weekend for matters north of the border and across the water, as it seems as if negotiators from the European Union and the United Kingdom are nudging ever slowly, slightly to- slowly towards, uh, and I deliberately fudge the words because I suspect this is going to be a large fudge in the end, um, some kind of accommodation around the operation of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, has been spending a few, a little bit of time north of the border in the last 48 hours or so to brief the party leaders there on the extent of any progress. One of the people that he met is the leader of the Alliance Party now, Malong, who is now with us on the line. Naomi, thank you for speaking to us uh, on the record this Sunday lunchtime. Um, what was your overall reflection, having met Rishi Sunak, about the state of play when, when you spoke to him on Friday? Well, I mean, he was certainly very positive about the progress that had made and relatively optimistic um, about the ability to land a deal. There was a deal uh, within reach, but he was also... I think, very honest in saying that we weren't at that point yet, that there was still work to be done. And I think those of us in Northern Ireland probably know better than most people um, that you can be 95% of the way towards a deal, but that last 5% can prove elusive. So I don't think we should take anything for granted, but it's certainly a much more positive situation than we have had really um, at any point in Mm. the last seven years. Is that to say that you you believe from your assessment that we are actually 95% of the way there? Well, no, but I'm I'm simply saying that I think the closer we get to a deal, the more likely it is that there are intractable problems that await at the end Mm. um, of that process. Normally what happens is people will deal with the issues that are most straightforward, most easily resolved um, first, but you will end up then at the end of that deal, it might look like a small amount of work, Mm. but those are the tough issues to actually get resolution on. So that's why I'm always slightly cautious towards, when people talk about nudging towards a deal, I'm always slightly cautious because it's likely that some of the issues that have been left to the end are fairly meeting. Yeah, that, well, that, that is a, a pretty fair point. It's interesting to know, by the way, that, that that's a kind of a little insight as to how progress is made on some of these things that you start mm. on the slightly softer turf and then work your way towards the, the more intractable ones at the end. Um, to what extent was Rishi Sunak actually able to give you and the other party leaders that he met as well um, any kind of insight into how things were or, or was he speaking only in generalities about the progress? He was speaking mainly in generalities, but he was talking, for example, around issues with the the European Court of Justice um, and those issues which we already know are on the table. I mean, I think the reality is we all know what the problems uh, with the protocol have been. Um, We all know what the objections to the protocol are, but we also recognise, and it was important for us to reiterate to Rishi Sunak when he was here, that for businesses in Northern Ireland and for the vast majority of people in Northern Ireland, Dual market access is a bottom line that we are not willing to give up. We want to remain within the single market. We want to be able to continue to trade into the GB market. And so it's crucial that whatever deal is done doesn't jeopardise that. We are obviously pragmatic when it comes to issues around how we do that. Um, We would like it to be as light touch and as straightforward as possible. But we don't want to jeopardise our access to the single market, the single European market, or to the GB market, which we enjoy at the moment. Mm. Um, I think any improvement on that position would be welcomed by everyone. Um, if it is the case that the, the reports are true and that there's going to be effectively a, a green lane and a red lane, that certain things will be allowed to enter from GB into Northern Ireland without there being any uh, physical checkpoints as to, to establish exactly where it's going, um, that would seem like it, it achieves a lot of the functions or would get rid of a lot of the unionist concerns. But it also seems like the sort of thing that unionists have been proposing for several years, which had up till now been um, immediately dismissed out of hand. What do you make of that? 
Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think that they were being dismissed out of hand. I think that the reality is that there has to be some data sharing that would happen in order for that to be effective. And up until the point where Boris Johnson left office, that data sharing with the EU wasn't happening. I think part of the difficulty about trying to renegotiate elements of the protocol has been that the European Union didn't feel that they had a good faith actor on the other side of the table to deal with because they were dealing with a prime minister who openly said um, that he signed off on a deal with no intention of actually implementing it in terms of how it was agreed. So I think when you get to that point, it's very hard to see how you can reopen sure. those discussions. Uh, I'll, I'll I think go- with Rishi Sunak at the table, we now have an opportunity to actually tie down a deal that will be properly implemented. And that gives us the opportunity then to have a trusted partner with which we can work and hopefully remove some of that bureaucracy. Uh, I was going to ask whether you thought Rishi Sunak was a good faith actor, but you've semi-addressed it there again. But I, I wonder whether... You, you are entirely confident with uh, Number 10's approaches to Northern Ireland, given that they have previously you know, gone to the wire and said, no, we're going to call an election, we're going to call an election, whether the people of the North want it or not, and have now twice decided to defer that, because one might argue that, in fact, they're not acting in good faith by continually setting deadlines that they end up then scrapping. Well, I think we're used to not entirely trusting anyone in Number 10 or indeed any government when it comes to these issues. I mean, I understand why the elections have been deferred in the sense that I don't think it would change anything. And it's an expensive distraction from the nub of the problem, which is about getting us back into the assembly. But I think in terms of... the deal with the European Union. I think whether Rishi Sunak wants to be a good faith actor or not, he certainly appears to be behaving in that way because the UK need this deal. They need to have a relationship with the Irish government and the European Union, which is more positive and constructive than it has been now for quite a number of years. But they also need a deal with the US and they will not get their trade deal with the United States unless they resolve their difficulties with the EU. So this is in their best interest and I have no doubt whatsoever they will act in their own best interest if not always in our best interest here in Northern Ireland. But I also think that there are incentives because if Northern Ireland maintains dual access to both markets, we Mm. can grow our economy. And that is good for Treasury in London as much as it is good for the people of Northern Ireland. Mm. So we have a joint vested interest in getting this right. And hopefully on this occasion... Um, the Prime Minister will be wise enough not just to listen to the DUP who were willing to be led by Boris Johnston, who were willing um, to compromise the stability of Northern Ireland over Brexit, but to listen to all of the parties in Northern Ireland and the vast majority of the people of Northern Ireland who want stability, who want progress, who want dual market access and who want to get back to dealing with the everyday issues of growing our economy and improving our public services. Uh, we're, we're tight on time, so I won't ask you in light of what you've just said about Boris Johnson. I suspect we can guess what your answer would be uh, about his intervention today in the Sunday Telegraph advising Rishi Sunak not to, to drop the protocol bill. Um, but given that you mentioned the DUP there, and we'll make this a final question before I let you go. Um, if the DUP are not satisfied with whatever deal might be in the offing in the coming days and they still refuse to restore the institutions in Stormont uh, to form an assembly, to form an executive. Um, Where do you think that leaves the long-term future of those Good Friday institutions? Well, irrespective of whether the DUP decide to go back into Stormont or not, and I've been very clear from the outset that I don't believe they should ever have walked away Mm. because these negotiations would have happened anyway. But if they decide not to go back into Stormont or if they decide um, to, to go back, we need to reform the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement. The principles 25 years on are still sound, but they don't reflect a change in Northern Ireland and they don't create the stability that was promised in the Good Friday Agreement right there in Strand 1, Paragraph 1, 
we were promised functioning devolution and we haven't had functioning devolution for much of the time the Good Friday Agreement has operated. So I think the mutual videos that Sinn Féin and the DUP are able to operate over the functioning of the Assembly now need to be removed. If governments don't, if, if parties don't want to go into government, that's their choice. But they should, I believe, still be able to be a government in their absence. And I think it's about time that we moved on from where we were 25 years ago. Acknowledge that Northern Ireland is a much more diverse place. It isn't just about two communities. There are many of us who don't align as unionist or nationalist or who may be unionist or nationalist, but that's not our primary concern. Mm. So those those views and those opinions and those people's opinions need to be taken into account. Northern Ireland deserves stable government. And as for Boris Johnson's intervention, Mm -hmm. nothing he has ever done in regard to Northern Ireland has been positive. And I think the best thing he could do for Northern Ireland at the moment is go for a run and stay out of the political situation here because he has lied to unionists, undermined confidence, and he has betrayed the people that he made promises to. He has nothing to offer in this situation. And I think he should accept that and graciously move out to the side. Naomi Long, MLA, uh, leader of the Alliance Party in Northern Ireland. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this lunchtime on the record on News Talk. Um, we're joined on the line now by David McCann, uh, who is deputy editor of Slugger O'Toole and lecturer in politics at the University of Ulster, and by Alex Kane, commentator and columnist and a former press officer of the UUP. Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon um, to you both. Um, the <laughs> doesn't seem to be very much love, Alex, for this intervention uh, from Boris Johnson trying to encourage Ricky Sunak uh, not to drop the protocol bill, which was going its way through the House of uh, Commons and, and House of Lords as some kind of backup policy thing. Um, what do you think of, of Boris Johnson's intervention today, uh, encouraging Ricky Sunak to stay the course? Well, I think Naomi Long is actually right in the sense that, you know, it is a very unhelpful uh, intervention. But I think an awful lot of unionists will think so, too, because just don't forget, is the the man who placed them in the huge mess they're in right now by promising. I was there. I watched the clip of Boris Johnson telling local conservatives in Northern Ireland to forget all the rumours that had or that heard, to forget everything that had been told about what was going to happen. It was never going to happen. Everything was fine and dandy. Someone hands you paperwork, put it in the bin. Yeah. Yeah, put it yes, put it put the whole thing in the bin. And then they realised within ours, of course, that he, he probably didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But the problem have had and that was the twenty nineteen general election. So we're getting into well over three years. They've had to deal with it. And now the man who put them in this mess is saying, Oh well, you know, I, I don't think my successor should do this. And I think one of the problems, Gavin, with all of this, and it's not just for the DUP, I think what we're still saying that Brexit is still the fixed point of an ongoing civil war in the Conservative Party. And what we're seeing now is not Boris Johnson and some other senior ERG members, you know, coming to Northern Ireland side or coming to unionism side, they're back to the usual for or against the latest Prime Minister. Because mm. I don't think, and I've never thought that for the, the vast majority of Conservatives, they've no emotional attachment to unionism. They've no political attachment to the DUP. So this is just another form of their own battle. And I think the DUP will be worried because they have been on so many occasions by so many leading figures in the ERG and across the Conservative Party benches, they have to put it bluntly. They have been lied to mm. face to face. Um, David McCann of, of Slugger Tool in the University of Ulster. Um, going back to the substance of what this purported deal actually involves, which would be the uh, the elimination of the physical uh, checks at any kind of border ports and just having this kind of uh, electronic filing where, where nothing needs to be checked at, at source. Do you think that would, or does it sound to you like that satisfies the DUP's seven tests for, for joining the Assembly and the Executive again? Well, for me, I think I think it primarily does, but for the DUP, it it, it just simply won't. Uh, I think the the, 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 the musings from the DUP 
have been um, very uh, cautious. They've been very uh, low key. I, I think uh, I think they are prepping their base to essentially walk away from it. And I do note that um, uh, for for unionism, the big problem for the protocol is that, and Alex has noted this in previous uh, writings that he's done, is it's become primarily psychological. It has become basically things that voter that unionist voters have attached to what is going wrong, you know, with things in the economy, what's going wrong. Uh, with things in society. So, for example, we've seen Jeffrey Donaldson, the DUP leader, talk about people not not being able to get drugs, not being able to get Amazon parcels delivered, and uh, not being able to get uh, a, 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 B, C, and D things done. Now, these have been challenged. Um, but, but but for many unionist voters, I, I don't doubt that, that many unionist voters are going and telling him those things, um, because this is primarily psychological. And if you do talk to many people in the DUP about their problems with the protocol, it is that sense of being hyped off from the rest of the UK. Mm. And ultimately, you know, for, for, for many people in the DUP, um, they, they just cannot abide that because, uh, because electorally, don't forget, we're only just uh, um, a few weeks away from local elections up here, Gavin. Uh, they've got the TUV, who again are mm. very much get rid of the protocol, no sea border, no, any, uh, no, no anything. And then they've also got on the other side of them, the Ulster Unionist Party, who are articulating a more liberal line of, well, yes, let's re-enter the institutions and let's uh, and let's and let's form an executive yeah. while still opposing the protocol. And I think and I think for the DUP, they are very keen to to, to get back the support that they primarily lost to the TUV last year and coalesce uh, unionism behind them because because at the minute. Uh, this is fundamentally, I think, a problem of psychology, and that is problematic for Jeffrey Donaldson in trying to sell any really complicated deal. It's actually a really worthy reminder that there are still local elections coming up because people might have thought that the partisan tinge of this was taken off by the deferral of the Assembly elections potentially for another 12 months, but but evidently not. Um, Alex, do you think that the... uh, David makes a good point there about whether um, all of the the ills that Northern Ireland has faced in the last couple of years can actually be put down to the protocol. And is there a danger that we're at a point now where um, the protocol is being blamed for for everything, that it's this bogeyman, this big bad wolf, that no amount of uh, redressing some of its concerns is going to be good enough. Yes, I think I think that is the problem, that uh, it, it is psychological. And I think a lot of people underestimate, not just within unionism, but they under, underestimate the power of psychology when it comes to how people view uh, challenges politically. And I think in this case, yes, everything, the protocol... They, it's because they weren't expecting it. They had been reassured. We'll go back to what I was saying earlier. They've been reassured by Boris Johnson this was not going to happen. They've been reassured. The DUP had met uh, the almost 100 strong members of the ERG prior to this bill going through Parliament and were told, no, no, we will stand by you. And suddenly, suddenly out of nowhere, they found themselves completely abandoned. They had to go to their electorate. All of unionism had to say, well, we've been let down yet again. So right now at the very heart of unionism, Gavin, there's, there is this sense, and it, it may still be sotto voce in the sense it's not a public debate yet, but there is this sense. I've heard, I've heard it from so many sources within unionism and loyalism over the past couple of years. Can we really trust a United Kingdom government to protect and promote our interests. And that's what Jeffrey's facing. Because if he if he looks at this deal, and I, Professor John Tong summed it up quite nicely in the piece on Friday, he said, if you look at the seven tests and you look at what has been suggested by Rishi Sunak, with goodwill, most of them could be taken across the line by the DUP if they were determined and devolution, if that's what they really wanted. But the problem is, the perception is that people think, is this just another? Mm. Have we just been stitched up? We but, didn't but get. Can, happened, but can, really can that can that ever be overcome? Then, then, if if it's if it's ultimately down to a distrust about whatever's going on in Westminster, then would would any policy or any change of personnel ever change that? Or are they always going to be anchored to this Westminster that doesn't really have their best interests at heart? 
I think they're anchored in a way they weren't before the protocol. There was always a suspicion going back to when I first started writing in the mid 1970s. There was always a suspicion across all of unionism that you know you just you couldn't really take the the, the word of a Labour or Conservative Prime Minister on trust. The only thing that will save this now, the only thing that could save this now, is if Jeffrey Donaldson, who is a devolutionist to his fingertips, who knows the consequences of this going down, he knows in his lifetime it may not come back. He would have to do what David Trimble in 1998 did, face down you know, his element, uh, his critics within and without the party, to do what Ian Paisley and Peter Robinson did in 2007 and cut their own bespoke deal, which had Martin McGuinness in as deputy first. And oh my goodness me, Gavin, that was a huge moment for mm. unionism. So Donaldson might have to say to, to his, his own party and to others, if this goes down, guys, the only alternative is a form of direct rule in which the Irish government will have an input and in which British government will talk to Sinn Féin, will talk to the SDLP, the days of unionism being able to say, give us this or we will wreck those days have gone, Gavin. And I think Donaldson, more than any other unionist I can think of right now, is aware of that. Uh, David, do, do you agree with that assessment? Does that, does that basically mean that Jeffrey Donaldson and his colleagues have to make the decision about whether they want to be inside the tent, proverbially outside, or whether they want to be outside, proverbially back in? Well, I, I think ultimately the, the the real trick, and I think Alex has actually really, really aptly summed up the conundrum there for, for him, what does he want to be? Does he want to be a Jim Molyneux type unionist leader, which was kind of just let things happen, let's see how it goes, or does he want to be a David Trimble type unionist leader who, who attempts to set the agenda and who will take those big risks? But the issue for him, is, for him is is that he's leading basically a broad tent party. You know, the DUP is not is not the the the, the sectional focused political faction that it once was. You know, mm. it, it it has broadened out over the last twenty years, and there are people within the DUP who do see a future within Stormont. I mean, for example, on BBC Northern Ireland, Paul Given, the former First Minister, yeah. had a bit of a... Uh, it came across a bit uncomfortable with, with, with the idea of Stormont not returning. He didn't He didn't sound like someone who was very keen to have Stormont down for a prolonged period. And there are people within the DUP who do recognise that they will have to go back into Stormont at some point. But however, there are others within, within the DUP who are reflecting that wing of unionism who kind of go... Well, look, you know, when we had Stormont, it wasn't doing very much. You know, lots of the problems that we have around healthcare were actually were, were actually caused by decisions made locally by by, yeah. by devolved ministers. And there are people who do not who do not like the idea of going back into Stormont with Sinn Féin as the lead party, even though it actually doesn't change very much in terms of power structures. So, the, so that's the real conundrum. And how Jeffrey charts a course between those two factions, it is going to be incredibly difficult because it's not something. That he is bit, that that he's known for. He is he is known as a cautious leader. He is known as someone who uh, who, who doesn't rock the boat. So it'll be interesting to see because it's a real test for his leadership mm. in terms of what way what way will he go? Will he go the Jim Molyneux route or will he go the David Trimble route? And indeed, whether he can actually sort of go the the Molyneux route, given that there's now two other large enough unionist parties that are there at either wing. So whether it's possible to chart that middle ground, um, just to, to broaden the conversation beyond unionism. But before I let you both go, um, and we'll start with you, David, on this. Um, what do you think happens? in the meantime if there is this ongoing void um, where maybe the DUP need further concessions and maybe there is an attempt to try and get something else out of Brussels or Westminster to mollify them um, does anything change in the meantime as regards the other parties do do Sinn Féin and the SDLP and the Alliance and the Ulster Unionists do they all just kind of sit around twiddling their thumbs saying "Grand, you guys take as long as you want or, or is there a danger that their mood changes in the meantime well I think the big thing will be Sinn Féin Sinn Féin are avowedly opposed to any changes to the Good Friday Agreement. They want to keep what is there in place. Now, Alliance, of course, have always been about uh, about changing the rules. 
the SDLP are moving in a direction of getting some rule changes. They're, they're, they're moving gradually. But I think the real thing will be Sinn Féin. Do Sinn Féin change their strategy on this in the next few months if, 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 if the DUP try and go off and get more changes? Because ultimately, they want to get the first minister's position. They want to take up the, those, those senior posts within the executive. Mm. So I will be looking out to see, to see do Sinn Féin change their approach of actually, uh, of actually reforming the agreement? Because right up until now, they don't support any changes, that, mm. that they don't support any big reforms. So, I'll, so, so, so I think the, the real party to watch out there for is okay. Sinn Féin. Do they start entertaining the notion of maybe now it being time? And it'll be interesting around the 25th anniversary uh, when we get to April and when these reflections are out there. Do we start seeing Sinn Féin floating these ideas about, OK, maybe it's time to look at some aspects of reform? Yeah. Is there a Good Friday 2.0? Uh, same question to you, Alex, to finish. Well, I think in terms of Sinn Féin, they still quite like the idea of um, having a first minister in Northern Ireland and uh, Sinn Féin in government, either leading the government or a key coalition partner in the South, because that, from them, go back to the psychological dynamics again, Gavin, that changes them. My suspicion, though, is my my, my, my worries are over-egging it, but my, my, my instinct would be that the... Sinn Féin also have to prove to their base and to, you know, that they're not just going to roll over to keep the DUP happy because an awful lot of Sinn Féin grassroots have been saying, how much more do we have to do to keep the DUP happy? How much more are we expected to roll over to keep them happy? And there may come a point, there may come a point when they think the game is no longer worth the candle. They may actually begin to think that proving that Northern Ireland is unstable because of what they say is DUP intransigence. Mm. They may believe that, again, psychologically, it makes the United Ireland argument and border poll argument much stronger because there comes a point when people have to say, if this place isn't working, if we cannot get these two mm. community power blocks working together in harmony, and, and it is that way because that's what the voters on both sides are voting yeah. for. But if if unionists won't take a role in Belfast, other, maybe they need other. to take the role in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinating times. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Alex, but we're, we're completely out of time. Um, thank you both very much for joining us this lunchtime with your reflections. David McCann and Alex Kane joining us this lunchtime on the record on News Talk. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.